Sometimes I'll preach a message, and I think I got the word across. And then I hear people talking, and I find out, ah, they heard me, but they didn't hear me. Or they heard me, and or they forgot what I said. And so sometimes I need to re-preach something that I preached a long time ago because I, I realized it didn't take. So I'm re-preaching something that um, I feel needs to be re-preached, but in a little different manner. Now, before I pray, I want to ask you something. Don't say nothing, but think about this. I'm going to give you ten phrases. And the question is, what do they have in common? Here are the phrases. Spill the beans. Out of the woods. Kick the bucket. Drive someone up a wall. Horse around. Going to the dogs. Face the music. On the ball. Looks like a million bucks. Let the cat out of the bag. Does anybody know what they all have in common? How many of you can remember I did that before? Okay, you're smart people. Okay, most of you don't remember. But they're all idioms. Everyone's an idiom. What's an idiom? An, an idiom um, is a verbal expression that's popular to a particular people. Okay? It's an expression that's peculiar to a, a people. For example, all Americans know what it means to spill the beans. If I say, Ron, spill the beans, what am I, what am I saying? Tell me what it is. Right, exactly. Spill the beans, Mark. You know, in other words, cough it up. Tell me about it. Cough it up. That's another one. <laughs> it means to confess or tell it all. And if a foreigner hears for the first time they need to spill the beans, can you imagine what they're thinking? You just come to America, you know a little English, and someone says, spill the beans. Spill the beans? Who's got beans, you know? Or you, or you walk up to this 80-year-old woman, finely dressed. She's 80 years old. And you tell her, you look like a million bucks. What's she going to think? He thinks I'm green and wrinkled. <laughs> What's he going to think? These are idioms. My point is this. When studying the Bible, it's important to understand the idioms of the writer. And there's a reason for that. Because if you don't understand the idioms of the writer, you're going to understand the Bible saying something that it's never intended to say. And a lot of people in the body of Christ don't understand the idioms of the New Testament. And because they don't understand the idioms of the New Testament, they get what God is saying wrong. It leads to bad doctrine. And bad doctrine in one area leads to bad doctrine in another area, in another area. And before you know it, my goodness, you're off the wall. Today, if I told you, if I said, Tim, that's a bad shirt. That's a bad shirt. What am I saying? I'm saying I like it, right? 
So now bad is good. We understand sometimes bad is good. Our language is kind of weird sometimes, isn't it? Okay, let's show you how weird our language is. If I say, what is N-O, you would say? No. no. What is N-O-W? Now. now. So what's S-N-O-W? No. Snow. <laughs> it should be snow. How do we get snow? It's weird. We do have a hard language because of the idioms. What if I said to you, Katie, you are the bee's knees. How many know what that means? About a dozen and a half of you know what the bee's knees are. Yeah. That, would, that would mean it's something nice or very cool or contemporary. You're the bee's knees. That's an old saying that kind of left. Okay? There's a good reason somebody said you don't want to be known as the bee's knees. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day when I get to speak to my friends. God, I pray that this message really takes, takes root in their heart and they really understand the need to understand the idioms in the scriptures so they can truly understand what you're saying. God, help me speak clearly and not cause confusion. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've got something for you. After the service... I'm going to hand this out to you. I'm not going to hand it out now because I know you'll be reading it while I'm talking. So just like you put away your, your, your phones, and you, you know, I don't want you to be looking at these, but I've got a list here of the ancient Hebrew idioms, and there's, four, there's a three and a half pages of idioms. You'd be wise to keep this where you do your Bible studies or by your, you know, Bible study so you can really understand what this, what this stuff really means. So... It's got the scriptures where you can find these things, too. This is very, very valuable. I'll pass that out at the end of the message. So, would you agree with me that to understand the scriptures of the New Covenant, it's important to understand the idioms of Israel in the times of Jesus? Would you agree with me? Okay. This is the reason for this particular message. Now, there are many idioms. And a long time ago, I did preach on a bunch of idioms. But there are a couple of idioms I need to bring out again because I, these are a couple that I need to because these were causing confusion with some people within our, our family. Picture this. Jesus just finished talking to the disciples of John the Baptist. And then he turned his attention to the crowd who remained. Now, but before we get into this, i got to tell you something that Spilkes told me. So Marty Spilkes comes up to me, and I've told this to a few of you already, so don't let the cat out of the bag, which is an idiom in itself. Who's, like, who's got a cat in the bag? It's just a church. <laughs> okay. So... Marty's got a kid, and he's playing basketball in the driveway with neighbor kids. And his contact lens gets popped out of his eye. So he goes in the house and says, Dad, I, I lost my contact lens. So Marty says to his kid, go find your lens. So he goes out there, and he's looking, the kid's looking for his lens. An hour later, the kid comes back and says, Dad, I can't find the lens. Marty says, okay, son, I'm going to go look for it. He goes out there seven, ten minutes later, and Marty comes back. 
with the contact lens. This kid says, Dad, I couldn't find it. How come you can find it? Marty says, because when you were looking, you were looking for a little piece of plastic. I was looking for $150. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that, amen? A lot of truth. Okay, let's get back to business. So, so Jesus just finished talking to his disciples, the, disip- the disciples of John the Baptist. I wonder if he ever spoke Marty Spilka stories. I don't think he did. I don't think Marty Spilkas was around in those days. And then he turns to his attention to the crowd who remained. You got the picture here? Matthew 11, 7 says, As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to, to speak to the crowd about John. It's John the Baptist here. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not... What did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. So what what Jesus said here, he used an idiom that a lot of people just don't understand. What did Jesus mean when he said a reed swayed by the wind? What did he mean by that? Now, in the days of Jesus, there was a well-known parable that had an idiom within it. It's a parable known as the reed and the oak tree. Now, according to this ancient Jewish parable, the oak tree and the thin reed were both planted next to the exact same river. Whenever a windy storm came, the deep roots of the oak tree kept the tree firmly established. And this enabled the oak tree to withstand most winds. But if the wind was powerful enough, the oak tree, uh, it could crack, could break off, could blow over and die if the wind was strong enough. So why? Because there was no compromise in the tree. No compromise at all. That tree stood still, stood still and firm. And if the wind was enough, it, it doesn't bend. It just would crack and fall over and die. On the other hand, the reed would bend to the left or to the right, even with the slightest breeze, and with the greatest breeze, it would just kind of go on, it's almost flat, the wind would go over it, it would stand. The conclusion of this parable was that because of the oak tree's refusal to compromise the slightest, it could end up losing its life in the storm. But the reed, although it would probably survive, could only do so by continually bending with the slightest breeze. So, now when Jesus asked the crowd, what did did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? In today's terminology, Jesus was saying, do you expect this prophet of God to be a wimp? Or a weak need compromiser who would change his beliefs <coughs> just because of the threat of death? No, he would rather die than compromise. Jesus was giving John the Baptist a compliment. He was using this parable, this idiom within the parable, to say that this man would rather die 
than the compromise. He wasn't, a lot of people think that, that this parable has to do with bending to stay, to stay with it. Now, it, has nothing, it has nothing to do with it. They, they don't get the real meaning of this parable. So now, I believe you should have a richer understanding about what Jesus thought about John the Baptist and his commitment. He was saying John is a man of such commitment, he would rather die than compromise. You see that now? We're going to look at another, another, another parable here, uh, uh, idiom rather, not a parable, an idiom. And it drives me, it drives me up the wall because I, you know, when I travel, I hear this a lot, and I, I don't say nothing because it's, I really don't say a whole lot because it's, it's not my congregation, okay? It's not my, it's not my family. This is my family, okay? And so I want to talk to you about about this. Um, This idiom is found in Matthew 16, 19, and I'm going to start with verse 17 because I want you to get the whole, the context. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed by, uh, to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So we have the binding and the loosing. Picture this. In the days of Christ, the Pharisees were constantly being asked to interpret the commandments of the Torah. And they were expected to give their opinion. Or actually, it's remember the word I taught you, halacha. You remember halacha? Raise your hand. Remember? What, uh, okay, le, most of you don't even know what that means. How many remember what halacha means? About twelve people. Okay, I'm glad I'm preaching this again. Okay. Halacha is a wonderful Hebrew word. It's really taught me to be more flexible in some areas. Um, Halakha simply means an opinion of how to apply what God said in his word or in context in the Torah. It means how one might apply the will of God. And many times, halakha, say that with me, halakha. There you go, halakha. Halakha, and many times, if it became general, it became like almost a, a rule. This is how we do it. It became almost like a law, a religious ruling. Here's an example of how halakha might be. You know how we do. You know how we do service is halakha. Who says in the Word of God that you give announcements, then you give, then you give worship, then you give the sermon, then you. Pray for people. Why can't I pray for people first? Can I? Can, why can't I give a sermon first and then do the, the, uh, the, 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 the message? I mean, the, the, why can't we give the message first and then do the, the, the worship? Why can't we do that? We can, really. Okay, but it's become a general halakha 
in the body of Christ throughout the world. That's how we do church. That's how we do it. I've been places where they don't follow halakha. They have actually, they will have a a worship time and then a a time of word, and they go back into worship. I said, well, that's different. It's different. Is it wrong? No, it's different. It's their halakha. It's their house rules. Look at the way they do things in their house. So an uh, example of a halakha would be, you were to ask me, what does it mean to study the word of God? My halakha would be first, know what God is saying literally. Then look for personal application by asking yourself, what does this mean to me? And last, be a doer of what it says. That would be my halakha. But you ask another pastor what it means to study the word of God, to study the word of God. His halakha might be just to understand and memorize the word of God and then go home. That's his halakha. You know, actually, everybody here, all the parents, do you believe you need to raise your children and not let the world raise them? you believe me? Say amen if you believe me. Now, how you raise your children is your halakha. We all agree that we must raise our children. We all agree. But each family has their own halakha. And so when you understand that word halakha, you see, oh, people do things a little bit different. It doesn't mean it's really wrong. It's just they don't do it the way we do it. Now, when you look at Scripture and what Scripture says, okay, um, I mean, thou shalt not kill. There's not a whole lot of halakha on something like that. Okay, thou shalt not lie. There's not a whole lot of halakha on something like that. Some things are just black and white, you know. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. There's no, there's no halakha on that one. Okay, that's the way it is. So you can now understand why in the days of Christ there were differing halakha concerning the 613 laws found in the Torah. And even today, like I say, there continues to be differing halakha, and that's why within the, within the Jewish community, um, you'll find those who are ultra-Orthodox Jews, Orthodox Jews, Conservative Jews, Reformed Jews, Messianic Jews, and Progressive Jews. Different halakha. Okay? That's why you can find within certain denominations, like the Baptist denomination, you can find, they're all Baptists. But you find different halakha, and they have splintered off. Or the Lutherans. Like I tell my Lutheran buddy of mine, pastor buddy of mine, I said, you Lutherans, you all look alike to me. I can't tell you apart. I almost can't. But the fact is, they have their own halakha on certain issues, and that separates them. So understanding halakha is, is for me, it's, it's important. So let's look at the idiom of binding and loosing. In the days of Christ, binding and loosing was understood to be something different than it's understood today. I can't tell you how many people I've heard say, I bind this and I loose this. And usually you're talking about the devil or something like that. How many of you ever heard some people talk that way? Look around, look at the hands. See what I mean? Ooh, I hear this. It hurts my ears. 
In the days of Christ, binding and loosing was understood to be an idiom referring to legal destination. A legal destination. In other words, binding and loosing were words used to describe certain religious decisions. The term bind means to forbid. And to loose means to permit. For example, concerning the Sabbath. The Pharisees ruled which activities were permitted on the Sabbath and which were not. They bound or prohibited certain activities and they loosed others. When Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven, he was giving Peter the authority to bind and loose. <clears throat> In other words, Jesus told Peter that he had the authority to give halakha over biblical issues. So how could Peter be trusted to decide what to forbid or to permit? The answer is found when Jesus asked the disciples who the people say the Son of Man is. That's where, within that story, we find the answer. Let's read that. In Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the, Bap John, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, uh, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter, the guy who was given the keys, the guy who was uh, given authority to give halakha. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not, was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you, you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Okay, so why did Jesus give Peter the keys to bind and loose? Because he could hear from God. That's why. He could hear from God. He could... He could, those things he would permit or loose, he was going to go according to God. Let's look at an example of Peter using his keys or his authority. See, the keys, again, is, means authority to bring forth halakha. Again, halakha is the ruling of how to apply or walk out the will of God. In Acts 15, verse 5, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know how that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as they did to us. 
He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the, of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just that, that, that they are saved just as we are. That was his halakha. He got that. He got that. How did he get it? By the Spirit of God. Peter's halakha was to loose. And he did that when he ruled that both Jews and Gentiles are saved by faith. And believing Gentiles don't need to go through circumcision. And then James who was the spiritual leader of the believers in Jerusalem. It wasn't Peter. It was James. Gives an example of binding when he required the believing Gentiles to abstain from four uh, well-known common practices of pagans who lived outside of Israel. In Acts 15, verse 19, James said, It is my judgment. You could say it's his halakha. Therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. You see, Jerry, it's not kosher, eat charnina. You know what charnina is. Yeah, yeah, if you're Polish, you know what charnina is. Duck blood soup. You don't eat that. And although we don't have Peter's reply, I believe Peter agreed to the opinion of what James uh, thought needed to be bound. Now, I want you to see that the Amplified Bible, what it says about Peter getting the keys of the kingdom of heaven. This is just a, this is just a, it's just, cements what I just said. In Matthew 16, verse 19, out of the Amplified Bible, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind, declare to be prop, improper and unlawful on earth, must be what is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose deliver, or declare lawful on earth must be what is already loosed in heaven. So you see, that binding loosing has nothing to do about demonic stuff. It has to do with halakha. So I want to conclude by giving you a warning. Today in the body of Christ, there are those who believe binding and loosing, and they often quote, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, or whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So they, they proclaim a binding of Satan, and loosing angels. How many of you have heard believers doing that? Yeah. You hear that a lot on TV. And I have a couple of thoughts about, about this business of binding Satan. Number one, I do not believe they really understand what Jesus was telling Peter about binding and loosing. Number one, they don't understand what that really means. Number two, neither Satan nor demons are all present. And if you're truly binding Satan, 
the rest of the world will be free from him. So if we could bind him here in Milwaukee, people in Chicago are free from Satan. Think about that. By the way, after you bind him, where do you put him? Besides that, how does he keep getting away? It sounds funny, but this is how I see it. I bind Satan. Everybody goes, oh, yeah, yeah. What are you talking about? You can't bind Satan. Read the book of the Revelation. You found out how, you find out what happens to him and then he's thrown in the pit. It's not you that's going to do it. What kind of rope do you use? Got kind of chains. Keeps on getting away right away. I want to conclude with a question regarding the idiom of the seed swayed by the wind. Are you more like a reed swayed by the wind or like John the Baptist? Do you have the courage to live like an oak tree regardless of your circumstances? Think about that. Think about that. You want to be like an oak tree. An oak tree. Yeah, it's risky. It's risky. But you want to stand firm in your faith. And you don't want to sway like that reed. It's more comfortable to sway. It causes less chaos on your psyche to, to sway. But you know, Paul didn't sway. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of salvation. Everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also the Greek. Their early disciples. They were like oak trees. They didn't sway. Knowing that death is there. People would say, are you one of the disciples of Jesus Christ? Now they could be a little bit like a, like a, one of those reeds, and go, not really. And maybe they would live. Or you could say, yes, I am a disciple of Christ. Crash. There goes your head. Let me tell you, we have, we have heard the gospel because of faithful Christians throughout the generations who did not sway who stood as oak trees. And we have a decision to make. Do we sway like a reed or do we stand like an oak tree? And it's dangerous when a big wind comes or big time persecution. Big time persecution. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Think about this. Are you going to stand firm like an oak tree? Or sway? Let's all stand together. God wants to bless you. And so he tells the leaders to say these words to put a blessing upon you.
It's God putting a blessing upon you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace, peace in your heart. Even though a storm comes your way and you're tempted to sway, but you stand firm like an oak tree. In Yeshua's name. Amen.